Well, good morning and welcome to everyone here and those joining us at all of our campuses. It's so good to be together, our online West Tonka and Bush Lake campuses. My name is Zach and I have the joy of serving here as one of the pastors. And today we are continuing along in our Up sermon series as we see the nation of Israel going up to Jerusalem. And over the last several weeks, uh, these Psalms have really revealed to us the beautiful nature of God's character, uh, that he is a God who is one of love and of faithfulness, that he is a steady God for each and every one of us. And today is no different because today we get to jump into Psalm 132 to see that God makes promises and then he keeps those promises. And so it got me thinking of a movie that I uh, enjoyed watching as a kid, a little kid growing up. It was actually a Christmas movie. I know it's kind of hard to believe it's September. We're going Christmas already. But it was the movie Jingle All the Way. Okay, anybody? Yes, one of you. Thank you. Yes. And so Jingle All the Way, it starred the one and only Arnold Schwarzenegger. Sorry, I mispronounced that. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right? You know Arnold, right? Get to the chopper. You've got to keep your head down. Yes. Yes. I'll be here all week. I'm actually going to do my sermon. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You've got to come to the Lord today. Yeah. Let's just close in prayer, you know? <laughs> but Jingle All the Way revolved around Arnold's character as a dad who was really a workaholic. And at the beginning of the movie, he misses his son's karate tournament. And so he gets home after this karate tournament and he's kind of, you know, oh, he's upset and he goes upstairs and he sees his son who's just dejected and just kind of, oh, dad, you know, drop the ball again. And as they're in uh, his son's bedroom, he's like, you know, what do you want for Christmas? And he's like, I want to Turbo Man action figure. And he's like, I'm going to get it for you. And then they like dance around and they hug. They're all excited and everything. And all is good in the world, right? Yeah, Arnold forgot to go buy the action figure. All right. That's the conflict of the movie because he realizes that because the very next day is Christmas Eve. All right. He's running around Christmas Eve trying to find this Turbo Man action figure. And as a Texan, this is my first exposure. The movie was actually filmed here in Minnesota. There's clips of him running through Mall of America. And I was like, as a seven, eight-year-old boy, I was like, I was stressed. MOA, every man's worst nightmare. Okay, amen to that. Anyone? Yeah, okay. But he's running around. Everyone's like, you're looking for this action figure? It's been sold out for weeks, right? This is before the days of Amazon. All right, these were dark days for us, okay? But really what we begin to see is, is at the, towards the end of the movie, like he's on the phone with his son and he's like, dad, you know, hey, are you gonna, are you gonna make it home for the Christmas parade? And Arnold's character goes, oh, you know, I just, I, I don't know that I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be able to make it. And then his son quotes a Turbo Man quote. And he said, well, dad, it's like Turbo Man always says, always keep your promises if you wanna keep your friends. And it's, I know, right? It's like, geez. Like 25 years later, like that, as I'm studying God's word, preparing for this, that quote like hit me like a ton of bricks. Always keep your promises if you want to keep your friends. And as we think about that, maybe that really hits home for some because we've been on the receiving end of unkept promises. Maybe a friend or a family member hasn't followed through. Uh, Maybe some of us, when we think about our places of employment, we've got a boss or a manager that has made a promise to us, but they haven't kept up their end of the bargain. Or maybe even for some, we've been on the giving end. Maybe we've spoken a promise, but we haven't been able to hold up our end of the bargain. Or maybe whenever we think about our faith journey, if we're completely honest with ourselves and we think about it, it's like, man, I don't feel like God is with me. I don't feel like God is a keeper of his promises. Can I truly trust God? And if that's you, thanks for acknowledging that. Uh, We want to dig into that a little bit today 
Because the topic that we're gonna be looking at is this idea of persevering promises. Promises that stand the test of time. And so that's really what we'll look at in Psalm 132. And so to give you a roadmap of where we're going and this idea of promises, we're gonna see three points. We're gonna see, first of all, promises that are portrayed. Okay, and so the biblical understanding of what a promise is and the portrayal of it. Second, we're gonna see prompts. That promises, when promises are made, promises should prompt action. They should prompt behavior. And then third, we're gonna see provision. That woven within a promise is a future provision for us. So a portrayal, a prompt, and a provision. Psalm 132. Well, it's been our custom over the last several weeks to uh, read the psalm. Last week, Pastor Joel gave us the shortest psalm. I think this week is the longest psalm. So you get the uh, standing goal for the day. So let's stand all of us together, even those joining us online and at our campuses, and let's unite our hearts and our voices as, the, as we read these words. Let's look at the screens here. It says this. Remember, O Lord, and David's favor, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord, and vow to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. I know it's hard, y'all got it though, all right? Let's keep going. We found it in the fields of Jaar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priest I will clothe with salvation and her saints with shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David I've prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. Thank you so much. Y'all can go ahead and grab a seat. Now, I know that whenever we're reading that, you know, it's kind of like, man, what did I just read? <laughs> you know, this is an ancient text, right? There's a lot to unpack there. Maybe as you're reading it, it's like, I just read a word or I tried to read a word that I couldn't even pronounce, right? And, and it's just kind of thinking through, does this really relate? Does this even connect? Does this even apply to my life? Oh, well, here's what we can know. The Bible scripture, it is living, breathing, and it is active. And when we, we really begin to plumb the depths of scripture, we will pull out so much wisdom that is practical for our lives today. So let's lean in together and let's learn. Uh, we come to the first point, which deals with uh, the promises that are portrayed. And when we look here, we actually see that David is making a promise to God. And in return, get this, you ready for it? God makes a promise to David. Think about that. Like the creator of the universe is making a promise to his people. Right? Who are we to have an oath spoken over us by God from God? But yet it reveals to us that God is a God of love, that he is a God of amazing character. And so let's begin by defining what is a promise? Well, Webster Dictionary says this, a promise is a declaration that one will do 
or refrain from doing something specified. So when we see this, we obviously see that someone will, will do something or they will refrain from doing something else. And so as we think about this, promises go hand in hand with a few other things. For example, as a pastor, I have the immense joy each summer, usually summer, uh, standing in front of a lot of people with a couple as they pronounce not just promises, but vows to one another. And vows are promises. They are solemn promises spoken out loud, external words of an internal covenant bond that they are entering into. And it's spoken in front of uh, friends and family in front of many witnesses. And so what we see is that promises and vows and oaths, they all go together and they all happen within the uh, relational sphere, that there is relationship tied to these promises. And so when we think about vows and promises, what is it that they do exactly? Well, vows and promises, what they do is they birth commitment and they birth exclusivity. All right, think about this for a moment. Commitment means I will do what's constructive for this relationship. But then it births exclusivity. I know that we're kind of like, oh, what, is, what does that mean? What does that word exclusivity mean? Well, it means this. It means I won't do what's destructive for this relationship. And so when we think about a promise or a vow spoken, it's saying, I'm gonna do what's best and I'm gonna avoid what's worse. I'm gonna do what's constructive and I'm gonna avoid what is destructive for this relationship. And so when we think about it, whenever someone makes a promise or an oath or a vow, uh, they're leaning on that idea of committing to this relationship. They're committing to seeing this relationship and the people in the relationship flourish. And whenever we have that at play, what it ultimately does is it deepens the bond of affection and it deepens trust and trustworthiness and faithfulness. And so the amazing part is whenever we go to scripture, we see that God is speaking these promises and it can deepen our trust in him. In fact, God is committed to our flourishing. Uh, look, look back at these words. It says it, speaking of Zion, for the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell for I have desired it. And then here's where it comes in. He's committed to the flourishing. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation and her saints will shout for joy. Okay, do you see it here? That God is speaking a promise over Jerusalem, over Zion. He's saying, I wanna see the flourishing. I wanna see the, the poor being fed. I wanna see the saints that will shout for joy. He's speaking that to, to David. He's speaking that to his nation. But what we realize is that this isn't just a God who's making a promise back then, but he's ultimately a God who's making a promise to each and every one of us today. And so what we see is that whenever we go to God's word, whenever we open up the, the Bible, when we open up the pages here, that scripture is littered with promise after promise after promise. All right, there are just so many of them, but what I wanna do is I just wanna give you five promises because I think for some of us today, we're coming from a place where it's like, man, I need to hear the promise from God. I, I need to be lifted up. I need to be encouraged by the promises that God exchanged. So I'm gonna list out five. We'll build them out. You can grab a, a screenshot or snap a photo of these if you so desire. We won't judge you. We promise. I won't at least. But anyways, the first one that we see is that God promises faithfulness. God promises faithfulness. Hebrews 10, 23, listen to these words. It says this, let us hold unswervingly. Okay, I've seen some of y'all drive. Unswervingly is not characteristic of your driving, but he says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Why? For he who promised is faithful. God promises faithfulness to us. Uh, next, what do we see? God promises wisdom. God promises us wisdom. I mean, how many of us need wisdom? I need wisdom every single day. And God promises, James 1, it says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, what should you do? It says this, you should ask God, 
who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. He promises wisdom. Next, he promises us a purpose. You know, I I think about this. A lot of us, we're looking for a purpose. We're looking for a calling in our life and God promises that to us. Ephesians 2.10 says this, for we are God's handiwork. We are his handiwork. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So if we're looking for that, just lean on God's promise that he's gonna give us a purpose. Next, he says this, God promises us an abundant life. John 10, 10, one of my favorite passages. In fact, we named our daughter Zoe because the word Zoe is found here. Here are these words, John 10, it says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But he says, I came that they might have life abundantly. Zoe, Zoe, abundant life. Many of us are looking for that abundant life. But then finally, the fifth promise that we see here is that God promises to be with us always. And some of us need to hear that today. Because in Joshua 1.9, God says, have I not commanded you? He says, be strong and courageous. Some days, if we're honest, man, it's hard to be strong and courageous, is it not? But he says, I command you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Why? For the Lord, your God is with you wherever you go. He is with us always. And so friends, these are the promises. We can take these to the bank. We can lean on just five of the many, many promises that God gives to us. And when we begin to think about promises, the beautiful part about it is that a promise really begins to reveal somebody's intentions. Okay, so if someone says a promise, they're, they're revealing their intentions. And as it reveals their intentions, what it's doing is it's taking it a layer deeper. It's revealing their character. And so what we see about God is that he is a God of love. He's a God of wisdom. He's a God of faithfulness. And his desire is that we will find his love. We will experience his wisdom. We can live into his faithfulness each and every day. And so that's the first point that we see, that promises are portrayed. That it invites us into doing something and avoid something. It invites us to commit to the flourishing of relationships around us. But the next thing that we see is that we see uh, promises prompt. And what we understand by this is that promises prompt action, they prompt behavior. And so ultimately what we see is that uh, when we go back to the text, that David in this Psalm is gonna step into some type of action. Look at the uh, first verse here. All right, the Psalmist says, remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured. Okay, I love this, just pause here for a moment here. Let's, let's uh, bring this one back. It says this, remember, O Lord. And what I love about that is it's really this idea of like, can God forget? Like, can God forget us? Like, sometimes our best prayer is like, God, I, I know that you remember me, but man, God, remind me that you remember me. All right, remember that I'm here. And then he says, remember all the hardships that he endured, right? David experienced some hardships, but what do we see in verse 10? It says this, for the sake of your servant, David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. And so verse 10, it's like, okay, do not turn your face away. It, it's almost like we think it's like, oh, is God like kind of awkwardly like looking away? Like, oh, oh, David's experiencing some hardship. I'm gonna look away. No, no, no. What he's getting at is, is do not turn your face away. Meaning uh, whenever it's, it talks about God's face turning towards us, it was a reminder that God is present, that God is with us. And so these two verses, they form in the Hebrew, what's called an inclusio, all right? Uh, that sounds very Italian, but it's not. All right, and, and an inclusio is really a bookmark. It's a, it's a bookend of sorts. And so what we see here is this promise, Right? Uh, we see that there are some hardships that David's gonna experience and yet he's saying, be present with me, O God. So what are some of those hardships that David faced? Well, let's just rattle a few of them off. First of all, he, he battled Goliath, right? Nobody wanted to touch Goliath. The dude was really tall. He was really mean. He probably had a manly beard too, okay? But David was victorious. I don't know where that came from. I'm sorry, all right? 
but David was victorious over him. And as he rose in fame, right, Saul, the king of the land, wanted to uh, kill and murder David. And so he uh, ran him out of Israel and he was living in, with the Philistines, the, the nation to their the surrounding nations around them, living in exile, essentially. And then Saul dies and he eventually comes back and David is made king and he has some favor for a little bit, but then uh, the power kind of corrupts him and he abuses his kingship with Bathsheba. And after that, his own family, they rise up and they, his own sons want to take the throne, his son Absalom. His allies become antagonistic towards him and yet it says here that he endured. He persevered through it all. But I just wanna ask you, what, what are you facing right now? Okay, what hardships are you navigating in your life? You see, because I think that we're all gonna face some type of difficulty or, or hardship around us. You know, as a pastor, I, I hear a lot whenever I'm talking with people, you know, they say things like this, and, and I've said this too, but when you look at the scope of the world today, it's kind of like, man, things are getting pretty bleak. I, Jesus must be coming back pretty soon, right? Right, maybe you said that, and you know, it's like, okay, maybe, maybe he is, I, I don't know. Sometimes I do pray, man, Jesus, come back quick, because we fear for the world that our kids might grow up in. You know, or maybe for some of us, it's, it's just this internal strife or this internal turmoil where we just feel anxiousness, Maybe we feel depression. You know, for our students, our students, some started this last week, some are starting this week. You know, you're walking into class and you're like, man, will my teachers, will my classmates, will they accept me? Will, will I be a part of it? I mean, or is this gonna be a really, really tough year again? We all face hardships, whether it's external or internal. But whenever we look back to the example of David, we knew this, that David endured because he was a man after God's own heart. And when we look to David, he, he really knew the promises of God. And so when we think about it, we could ultimately say this. We could say, God doesn't promise us the absence of problems. Okay, Paul's right there. You mean to tell me that there's a promise that we're gonna have problems? Yeah, John 16. In this world, you will have trouble. <sighs> I don't want that pro promise, God, <laughs> right? But, it continues, but God does promise us his presence through them. Do you see that? God doesn't promise us the absence of problems, but he does promise us his presence through them. In this world, you will face trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world is what God says. And so he just says, I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna be for you. I'm gonna step into it with you and whatever it is that you might be experiencing. And you see, David knew this truth. David understood this and that allowed him to endure. He knew God's promise and he knew God's presence in his life. And whenever he began to really reflect on that, when he began to settle into God's presence in his life, that prompted then action, that promise prompted behavior. And then because God made a promise to David, David in turn can make that promise back to God. And he's gonna say, I'm gonna follow through. I'm gonna live out these actions as well. So what was the promise that David made? Well, let's go back. Verse two, it says this. And this is coming after verse one. Remember, O Lord, David, your anointed one, the one who is experiencing so much hardship. What happens? He says this, he, David, swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. What's going on here? Well, David's saying, hey, guess what? I'm not gonna enter my house or go to my bed, meaning I'm not gonna lay down. And just in case you are unaware of what I'm gonna do, I'm not gonna let my eyelids droop, Okay. I'm not gonna rest, basically, is what David's saying, until I find a place for the Lord. And so what this is speaking to is this is speaking to a time in the history of Israel whenever they had the Ark of the Covenant, okay? Anybody seen Indiana Jones, Raider of the Lost Ark, Ark of the Covenant? Or that's at least Hollywood's depiction of it, okay? But the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant was, in the Old Testament, the physical representation of God's presence. And what it would do is it would pass between tent to tent in the wilderness uh, as Israel was becoming a, a fortified nation, and yet while God's presence was being passed tent to tent, 
the kings and the priests, they all had homes to go and slumber in. But David is sitting here and he's like, man, I will not slumber until God has a permanent place, until God's ark has a place of holiness that he can rest. And so it's just this amazing promise that David is making to God because promises prompt action. And so much like we said before, whenever somebody makes a promise or a vow or an oath, what they're ultimately doing is they're revealing their intention and they're revealing their character. And so God is giving us this invitation to step into the promise as well. Because what we have to think about is, is when we are in his presence, what he's doing is he's shaping and he's forming our character more and more. In fact, one of the things we say here at Westwood is we wanna help everyone be and love like Jesus. That our character becomes more like Jesus's character so that whenever we speak promises, we can back them up. And so what we can ultimately say about promises prompting action is this, God's promise and presence, it prompts action, it prompts behavior for us. But what happens whenever we're like, man, I have a hard time with this. Three things that I wanna highlight for you. First of all, his presence gives us the power to say, I, I can do this, all right? Uh, sometimes we speak words into existence, we speak promises, but if we're honest, it's like, I, I can't back it up. I, I can't follow through with it. But what we see is that whenever we are in God's presence, he gives us the power, his Holy Spirit to say, I can do. It moves us from wanting to, to willing to. Okay, it gives us the power to say, I can do. Second, when we're in God's presence, it gives us persistence, meaning I will do, I will see it through. Uh, in our house, we're trying to instill and say these words, we finish what we start. Okay, it's not enough just to start a promise, but you gotta see it through. And we think about Jesus, right? We're, we're spending time in his presence. Jesus was a persistent guy. In fact, one of the favorite verses that I have is, is it just says, Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. Why did he do that? Because it was in Jerusalem that he would ultimately die. But he, wouldn't, he didn't waver left or right. He had his eyes focused and he moved towards Jerusalem. He was persistent. And we too can have that persistence given to us. And then third, passion. I want to keep my end of the bargain. You know, whenever we spend time in God's presence, whenever we spend time dwelling on his promises, here's what happens. His passion becomes our passion. It allows us to say, I want to follow through with this. It gives us power, persistence, and passion. Now, as we think about this though, right, some of you might kind of be like, hey, wait, I know a lot about the Bible. And in Matthew 5, doesn't it say, you shall not take an oath or you shall not take a vow? Okay, for those of you who do, yeah, hey, extra credit for you. Yes, it does say that. So what do we do with that? Let's take a little side uh, remark here really quick. Because Jesus is saying that in Matthew 5, because at his time, he, he's basically telling people, uh, you shall not take an oath unto heaven. Basically, as Christ followers, we're forbidden to say words like this, I swear to God or I swear to heaven. Like, that's what we're forbidden to do. The reason for that is because in Jesus' time, there were people who were doing that, who were swearing an oath to heaven, but then they weren't backing it up. Because right after Jesus says that you shall not take an oath, he says, rather, let your yes be yes and your no be no. What Jesus is saying is the actions of every Christ follower should be so characterized with integrity that we don't need verbal assurance of it. But we know that because of the trustworthiness of our actions, we're gonna follow through. What Jesus is saying is if you make a promise, keep your promise. Because promises prompt action. Promises reveal integrity. Promises reveal intention and character. And we can be in love like Jesus. We've seen promises portrayed. We've seen uh, promises uh, in our lives of, of how they prompt action. But now we come to the third point, which is provision. You know, whenever someone makes a promise, whenever they make a vow or an oath, there is provision behind it. It's not just a promise today, but hopefully wound within it, there's a future provision as well. And so we see this. 
within God and within David. We go back to verse 13, it says these words. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. I mean, just look at that. Like God's saying, not only is he speaking it, but he's saying, I'm not gonna turn back from it. God is gonna hold his end of the bargain. One of the sons of your body, I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, he says, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack here. What God is ultimately saying is he's getting this idea of like, you know, David, I'm gonna set upon your throne, your son and your son as well. And so after David came Solomon. And for those of you who know, Solomon was a decently wise guy. He did pretty well in some respects, but then in other respects, not so much. And then after Solomon came his son. And and what happened at that point was there was the great divide, the great split between the Northern kingdom of Israel and the Southern kingdom of Judah. And if you were to go through and read some of those chronicle books, the historical records of the nation of Israel, there was a phrase that was often used where it said, this king did what was right in the eyes of God, but this king did what was wrong in the eyes of God. This king did what was right in their own eyes. And so it's a depiction of those who were obedient and those who were disobedient. Going back to this promise, if your sons keep my commandment, they will continue to sit on the throne. And the reality is that it wasn't a perfect science. Many of these kings rose and many of these kings fell. But the reality is this, the thing that we can hang our hat on is that our hope and the promise is not contingent upon our faithfulness, but it's contingent upon God and his faithfulness that God will see his promises carried through, not based on our faithfulness, not based on our trustworthiness, but based on his trustworthiness and his faithfulness. Now, this isn't a license for us to be disobedient and unfaithful, but we can take great hope in the fact that God will see his promises through. In fact, whenever we really dig into this, God is just such a big thinking God because he's saying to David, you know, your sons and your son's son will sit on it. Now, I just ask this question, who do you think David had a view to, right? He might've had, we, we don't exactly know, but as, as just a guy, you know, he's probably thinking, oh, I've got a view to my son, Solomon. He'll sit on the throne. And then, you know, maybe Solomon's son, he'll sit on the throne too. So maybe his son, grandson, maybe even his great-grandson. But the reality is that God had a view, not to the second and to the third generation, but God has a view to the generations upon generations upon generations upon generations uh, the, the lineage of David. And so I just wanna ask you a quick question, right? You can shout it out. Um, who else in the Bible came from David's lineage? Okay, we're in church. Who do you think? Jesus, yes, there we go. There we go, exactly. Jesus came from David's lineage. Now you're sitting there and you're like, wait, I didn't see Jesus anywhere in this Psalm. So where do you see that? I'm glad you asked. Let's go to Psalm 17. It says this, there I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. And so God is speaking about a futuristic provision and there's one word that's used here and it's the word anointed. Do you know what the word for anointed in the Hebrew is? It's the word Messiah, which we hear Messiah, all right? Jesus the Messiah. Let me give you a hint. Messiah was not Jesus's last name. Okay, Messiah means Jesus, the anointed one. It's saying that he is the one that comes from the lineage of David. And so as God is promising sons upon sons upon sons upon sons, what we can ultimately see is that God is promising a future provision. We could ultimately say these words, God's promise comes to fruition in his future provision. God's promise comes to fruition in his future provision. And what is his future provision? It's Jesus right? The the, the greatest manifestation of God's promise to you and to me, the greatest provision that we have is his son, Jesus Christ. 
Now, it doesn't just happen here in Psalm 132, but it also carries over into the New Testament as well. I mean, look at Matthew chapter one. Look at what it says here. It says, thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the, what is that word? Messiah, the anointed one. So we see the promise in Psalm 132, hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of years spoken before Jesus was born physically on earth. He's the prophesied one. But as you can see here, I mean, there's a couple, there's a, there's a number that's repeated. It's the number 14. Why is 14 important? Well, 14 is seven plus seven. Thank you so much, Texas high school public education. <laughs> Zach can do math. Right, no, but seven in biblical terminology was the number of perfection and completion. So think about it. What do we say about God's promises? He will see it to completion. He will see it through. But not only that, the number 14, what's so impactful about the number 14? Well, the number 14, biblically, it symbolized salvation and deliverance. I mean, one of Jesus's probably thematic verses, his statement was, I came to seek and to save the lost. I came to deliver you. And so when we think about David and as he's running for his life from Saul and his own kids, he knew God's promise that he was going to deliver David. And when we think about whatever it is that we are navigating, whatever it is that we're facing or experiencing, God's promises will come to completion and that God will bring us salvation and deliverance as well. Friends, we can rest in God's promise because he is faithful and he is true. And that's why we have this opportunity today to come to this table to receive these elements, this bread and this cup. And I just invite you, as you hold these elements, don't breeze through it, don't rush through it, but may these elements be a physical reminder for you that God's promise has come to fruition in his son, Jesus. And not only that, may you hold this cup and this bread knowing that it's a sign of Jesus's salvation for us, his deliverance, that he came to rescue you and me. And the reality is many of us are caring a lot today, if we're honest. All right, we've got heavy laden shoulders. And yet Jesus says, I've come to deliver you from that. My presence is with you. Take heart for I have overcome this world. And so friends, as we take these elements, may our hearts swell with gratitude for who God is and what he's done through his son, Jesus. Would you please stand with me as we pray together? Gracious Father, we thank you so much that you our God who is faithful and trustworthy, that you are with us in all things, that you portray a promise to us, you make a promise with us, the creator of the universe, the one who hung the stars in the sky, you make a promise to us and you are faithful to see it through. And we know that that promise comes to realization in your son Jesus, the faithful deliverer, the one who brings abundant life, the one who brings wisdom, the one who brings goodness. And so Lord, as we take these elements, may it swell our heart with gratitude. May we see you in new and profound ways. May we love you because you first loved us. And so, Lord, we ask that you will do all of this for your glory and ultimately for our good. We pray all this in the beautiful, matchless name of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. amen.